0: This is transistor.fm. Code fun Podcast
1: Network.
0: Hey Ron, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. Welcome to Ruby Blend. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing support and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to Linode.com slash RubyBlend. We are missing Nate today, but Ron and I decided there was enough to talk about that we could go ahead and forge on without him for now. Yeah, definitely. So I want to hit this first and then we can circle around to what we've been working on. Well, first, I guess, do you know anything really about Action View component, which is the basically component type library that GitHub had been working on, which was upstreamed into Rails and was supposed to be released with Rails 6.1.
1: Yeah, I had heard about it, I think, kind of when they made it public that this was something that they had been working on and that they were trying to get it into Rails. I don't remember exactly all the details about it, but I do remember hearing about it at one point.
0: So it was merged into Rails. It was around the time of RailsConf last year, I think, around the time that we got merged. I'm about to butcher this. Wait, it's Halsky. Joe Halsky. Hawksley? Oh, man. That was it the worst. Like, <laughs> it looks like Hawksley. Sorry, um, Joel. Yeah, sorry, Joel. Well, Joel gave a really good talk at RailsConf last year talking about Action View component, which is a, a framework for building view components, basically, almost in a React-type manner. With He worked at GitHub, and he was working on this with, I believe, Aaron Patterson. And it's something that was upstreamed into Rails. It was going to be released with Rails 6.1. They were working on some pretty cool stuff with it. And from reading the GitHub issues around this library, GitHub is apparently all in on this library. Like, they are using them and seeing a lot of performance gains, actually, over traditional partials. Like, in some tests, it is, like, 5x, more than 5x faster. Cool, yeah. So... It was upstreamed into Rails and it was actually pretty cool. I played with it a little bit. I was actually working on a blog post on it that I just hadn't quite finished. And what's really cool about it is you can write tests for them. And you know how you can see like previews of your emails, like in with, with the Rails conductor thing? Yeah. So they have the same thing for your components. So you can create tests for your components and actually open them up with the rails conductor and see like visually on the page your component being rendered like just <laughs> a preview of it yeah that's pretty cool it is really super cool so it was announced this week that it is no longer going to be included in rails so they're going to be pulling it from rails it's still going to be compatible with, highly compatible with rails and like able to be integrated with it but they are not, they're going to, they're not going to release it into Rails and they just cited like some discussions with the Rails team and link to a Rails issue, which we will, I will drop both of the links, both to this issue on the ActionView component repo, which is under GitHub's organization and the Rails issue, but they're dropping it from Rails. It's just going to be a standalone gem. Joel is working on it full time now for GitHub. And they are going to be renaming the gem because now that it's not going to be in Rails, they don't think it makes sense to be called Action View. Basically, they're just going to call it View Component, I believe. Right. Yeah. And yeah, and it's not going to be. They're going to have to do a few changes, I believe. But overall, I'm just yeah. What are your What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it it makes sense if it's not going to be in Rails proper. Then I guess. Calling it Action View component, it is a bit of a, a misnomer. It leads people to believe that it's actually a part of Action View, and it's not. So, I mean, I guess that my, I guess my question would be, why are they pulling
0: it out? So, I just dropped a link to the Rails issue in the chat, but it looks like DHH kind of hit the brakes. Like, I can't really. It's hard to like truly say that for sure, but it looks like DHH started to push back a little bit. And this is not something that Basecamp is using. As far as I know, I'm pretty sure they're not using it. So I think there were some changes that Joel wanted to add into rails and there. And I'm not, I'm trying to find the exact issue where he was going back and forth with DHH, but basically it looked like there were some changes he wanted to make. And I think, DHH kind of just like hit the brakes for a minute and I'm disappointed although I was talking and I vented a little bit not really vented but I posted about it on Twitter and I was having a back and forth with Rob and I don't know his last name I'm sorry his name is Rob and he sometimes banters with me back and forth on Twitter on Rails related things but he made a comment that basically he wasn't upset because he saw like in rails there's almost there's like one golden path to do everything pretty much and if you can just stick to the rails way then you know you're it's pretty smooth sailing like there's a way and his comment was that by adding this into rails itself now there's two ways there's the way where you're rendering normal erb partials and just creating partials and then there's now a way there would be a way for you to just completely not do that at all and just have just components. And it seemed like he said that his take on it was, it was kind of like forking the logic and now there's not one golden way. And I thought he made a good argument and DHH actually liked that tweet that he posted about it. So I have a feeling like maybe, maybe that's kind of why maybe they were like, you know, this is deviating away from just the one golden path rails is a system where it's very easy to, take another path if their path doesn't work for you. So that kind of fits in with the entire ecosystem and kind of at the end of the day, Basecamp is not using it. So, you know, Rails (laughs) is a product of Basecamp pretty much. And if they want it in there, then that's the way it is. So
1: that's definitely
0: a thing that it seems at least
1: the things that Basecamp uses tend to get pushed into Rails. But you know, I, I kind of feel the same way, you know if it's not, it's not completely necessary, and it's, it's, I mean, not to reduce it to just another templating language. but it's kind of like you know, you know having different templating languages in there. Yeah, you don't have them in there by default, but it's really easy to to switch out to a, a slim. Or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, in the same light where we probably wouldn't argue that those should be in Rails by default, maybe this shouldn't be um, in Rails by default. And again, if it's, if it's really easy to put it in, eh, it's, it's not that big of a deal for me. The other thing is, though. If it's in there and it's on by default and you know, people are having issues with it, they don't understand it, they haven't taken the the time to to, you know, really read how to do it. I'm thinking like I don't want it to suffer the same fate that TurboLinks did, (laughs) where you know it was it was in there and people didn't get it and it was biting people when they you know, when they didn't even know anything about it. So making it and like an explicit dependency, I think is a good thing. I mean, as long, as long as it works and it's not that big of a hassle to put it in after the fact, I think, I think that's cool.
0: All right. So I have a very, very, <laughs> I have a good response to that. But first I just want, before I say that, I just want to mention, did you know that if you look up the word, the the benevolent dictator for life, I think it's on Wikipedia. I don't know if it's still on Wikipedia, but there's definitely, if you look up examples of benevolent dictators for life in terms of software, DHH is like one, almost number one, Um, right behind like Guido, even though Guido stepped down from the Python community. And there's one other guy, I can't remember. But if this could potentially bite people, which I don't think it could actually, because it would be almost like including like, or doing like mailers, like, you have the ability to use mailers, but you could never ever touch that and it would never ever affect you. It would just be there and just not being used. And I think that's kind of the way this would have worked too. But if we I do agree with you that that, yeah, if it could bite people, then it shouldn't be on by default. Okay. But why then is action cable on by default in Rails? Because there was a lot of argument about and I'm saying this from a perspective of like, I was not riding rails really around this time. I hadn't learned rails yet, but I've listened to a lot of old podcasts, specifically on the bike shed, old bike shed episodes with Sean Griffin and Derek Pryor. And they were, they talked a lot about this. They said like, it it sounded like a real point of contention, especially because Sean was on the rails team. And they, these were conversations that were being had of why then is Action Cable being included by default and turned on when Action Cable can totally bite you? Well, that's probably because uh, Basecamp is using Action Cable,
1: (laughs) right? And I guess there's, there's there's nothing else, right? Yeah, you don't need a WebSocket abstraction. You know, you don't always need that. But there's nothing else in Rails for that. So I guess they have it there and like, hey, you can use it if you want to. But it, then again, this goes back to the fact that you know Rails by default renders ERB templates, you know, and you know the whole forking the happy pass type thing. I mean, that's the only that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a good point. There are other things that are on by default that can mess you up a lot more than this appears to be able to.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's all very interesting, to say the least. Before we go any further, do you do you use Haml, Slim, or ERB? I've gone through my Haml phase and my Slim phase, and now
1: I'm just ERB. ERB is just because it it just looks more like markup, like you know, regular HTML. I, you know, I use it. I've gotten to the point where so if I'm starting on a new project or I'm just working on something myself, using something like Haml or Slim is really nice and really, really quick. But then I've gotten into situations where I've had to go do some refactoring on stuff and it makes it not that great tooling wise to not be able to tell what's inside what, especially if I'm trying to say, you know, cause I'm not a great designer. So mm-hmm. I'll like copy stuff from like the bootstrap documentation. And then now I'm like converting markup. Into into Hamel or Slim, so I've kind of just gotten to the point where I'm just like, eh, ERB's fine.
0: I have actually not really thought about that. Okay, so I guess to preface this little side tangent that I want to go down real quick, all the tutorials when I was learning Rails were obviously in ERB, but the company I first worked at used Hamel. So because I was learning Rails while interning there, I was basically. I learned Hamel, although I had done a lot of HTML work prior to that. And I think the reason I had done a lot of work in HTML is the reason I liked Hamel so much. Because I was so sick of writing HTML, like it's just so cumbersome in my opinion to write, and it's just a pain, and it doesn't look good, and it's like it's just hard on the eyes. When when you come to like a big HTML page, it's just it's just terrible. So I I loved Hamel. And then when I joined CodeFund, Nate was like, Nate and I had argued back, not argued, argued is a strong way to say, it. like we had had discussions in the past about Hamler or ERB. And he was of the opinion you should use ERB. And he had several really good points that maybe he can say at another time. But the main one was that CodeFund is open source. And you can assume that everyone who knows Rails knows how to work with ERB, you cannot assume the same thing of everyone else. Yeah, that's true. And I, and I know that uh,
1: Nate definitely has strong opinions on ERB, so maybe next week we'll get him to elaborate. But yeah, like I understand that. That being said, though, it's not really that. If, if somebody understands HTML and ERB, I don't think it's that much of a stretch to kind of see what's going on with Haml or Slim and understand what's going on. I've, you know, read through, you know, open source projects that are written in, in Slim and, you know, I don't really see that, you know, that being a problem. One thing that annoyed me when I was using Haml though, there's, And I don't know if they fixed it because this has been a while, but there was a thing where, like, if you wanted your hamel to be on more than one line, then you had to do some kind of weird like backslash thing that made everything look ugly. And I think they did it on purpose because they wanted your like markup to be really short. But in the the age of say stimulus, right, where we have Mm -hmm. to have you know all these data attributes and all of that stuff stuffed onto to an element you kind of end up making your markup look ugly anyway so that's why i kind of like erb you know the html where you know you, you know you have your opening angle bracket and then you can you can make it look nice i can have all of every attribute you know on another line and then i'll just do my closing angle bracket at the end instead of having this like long run-on, single opening element. It just doesn't look as nice to me that way. So
0: I don't know if I remember that being a thing and I'm looking through an old project I have in Hamill and I'm not seeing anything on two lines because as soon as you said that, that kind of ring a bell. I've never used Slim personally, but I have a mentor that really likes it. And I think he said that that, works way better with slim and slim is akin to Hamel in the sense of like, it's a like indentation based almost.
1: Right. But I mean, still you have to have something right. And, and maybe in yeah. slim uh, they wrap it in, you know, some kind of uh, curly braces or something, but the simple fact that it's delimited by, you know, like a carriage return type thing mm, means right. that you can not really put those things on multiple lines
0: yeah I'm looking through this project, and I want to handle back so bad <laughs> some of <laughs> some of the like views that we have in CodeFun are just so big, and I think what threw me off at first, and I'm starting to realize why after looking through this old project, is that these views are all very, very short, small, and there's not a lot going on in them. There's a lot of partial in here, but we don't do that as much. Okay, I see the. Actually, never mind. That's a table. I don't know. I don't know about the the multi line thing. You might be right. That that ring a bell? But uh, just it looks so much nicer. It looks so much nicer. Like when you just come into a view and it's written in Hamel, it just looks so much cleaner than these HTML partials that are so so big. It's so much going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. So this project that I've been doing at work to all of that React work that I had been doing, mm-hmm. we were converting a Angular, the front end was an Angular 1.x dot so Yeah, and the thing is, the markup was written in Haml, right? So, which was cool, I guess, except for now that we're converting everything to React. Man, I don't know how much time I spent going back and forth, up and down these large files, trying to see, okay, is this is this inside this other div or where are we? You know, because all I've got is indentation to work off of, you know, I've got my my indentation guides in in vim going on but still i can't i couldn't go to the opening element and then just jump to the closing one to to grab everything in it right having to do all of this like weird like you know, trying to put a ruler on my screen just to line stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've all done that. (laughs) To see what I'm doing. So that was, that was another thing that recently that I was just like, man, like I get it. You know, Hamill's really nice when you're writing it, but when you have to go back and do stuff, that definitely would have been easier
0: if it was just ERB. Stop, Ron, you're ruining the dream. (laughs) It sounds so nice in my mind. Just let it be the nice thing I had once. Um, hey, hey, man, just write, just write all new stuff and then you don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, here's what's happened. When you first said that you used ERB and you used to use Hamill, my first thought was like, oh, no, Nate got to him. Because <laughs> because Nate and I went through this and we had some discussions. And, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, yeah, you're right. All of the things you just said are All really good reasons to use ERB over Hamill. And, you know, I still really like Hamill, and I still like the way it looks, and I still hate using ERB. But I write everything now in ERB, even on my side projects, like just instinctively. Just because, like, he almost just drilled it into my head. I'm like, now Hamill is just that thing I, like, longingly look at off in the distance. But... (laughs) The I thing you want but, ne- but can never have, right? Yeah, it's like that really, really bad cheeseburger. Like, you want it so bad. You know it would be so good. But, like, you have that little voice in your head that's like, oh, it's really bad for you. You shouldn't do that. That's how got that come for me. That little Nate saying,
1: no, 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 it doesn't look like HTML. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Before you started at CodeFund,
0: what was your testing framework of choice? I have only, well, no testing framework of choice. <laughs> yeah. I, I never like writing tests, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> I was using Minitest because that was what the company used. But let me tell you where it gets a little weird. Have you ever seen Minitest spec? Yes. So one of the engineers at the company really liked, came from an RSpec background and really liked RSpec. And the company was like, no, we're using Minitest. And his way to not get around it, but kind of get around it, was he used Minitest spec, which introduced complexity into the code base. But I really liked Minitest spec. I thought it was really nice. That being said, I've tried to use RSpec. And I don't know. I I like RSpec, but I think... Because I've been writing so much mini tests, that's obviously what my like how my brain thinks. And the other thing is that I do like some things from RSpec that Mini Test Spec provided, which is why I also can I can write RSpec. It's just not it's not as fast for me. I really like the whole being able to group your tests in almost like con, in context blocks. I like that a lot. I can make it, your tests a lot more clear, at least in my opinion. I like more of like the syntax around organizing your tests in RSpec. That mini test spec kind of gives you versus the actual R spec test syntax. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, no, no, it does. So, have you had that conversation with Nate about uh, R spec and mini test? Yeah. Oh yeah, I have. <laughs> Sounds like you have too. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, yeah, maybe we,
1: we we won't get into it. Maybe one of these episodes will have to be a uh, uh, testing. Uh,
0: where we where we talk about testing practices and have oh, Nate chime in, <laughs> we'll have to get him to actually rant because he can he can go on oh, yeah. test frameworks and oh man he can and not only just like RSpec versus MiniTest but then when you tag on like oh well you know about these other things that are kind of mixtures of both of them right that's yeah. when he, can, he can start rolling yeah we'll have to do we'll have to do a testing episode we'll get him to shamelessly plug the the testing framework that he wrote. Oh yeah. So, yeah, he he does. He's I think he showed me that. He's like, look how easy it is to write this. Blah blah yeah. blah. And it like,
1: uh, it's actually pretty uh, impressive because uh, rather than the test just failing, it'll actually drop into a pry wherever yeah. the yeah.
0: So that's pretty cool. I do have to say one thing before we move on from Nate and testing. <laughs> the one thing I like everything that Nate has taught me and all the patterns that he has created in CodeFun, I follow them all. I sometimes question them, but whenever I question them, he explains to me in a really good, succinct manner about why it's a good pattern. And I'm like, yeah, that is I agree with that. <laughs> like whatever I thought before, no, that that you ruined like the arguments I had. So yeah, this is the the way. I really like it. But the one thing I refuse to do with Nate, like I gave up Hamill, gave up like <laughs> interactors and service objects. But the one thing I will not do is he writes his tests where without using like assert equal and things like that, he uses just like (laughs) variable thing equal equals. Yeah, assert variable thing double equals other thing. Uh, No, I will not do that. (laughs) Yes, he only uses asserts. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. (laughs) It is so hard to debug tests like that when you're like, oh, expected true to be not false. And you're like, (laughs) What does that tell me? That tells me nothing. I have no idea. Um, Exactly.
1: All you got to do is, you know, just not need
0: to debug your test like Nate. And you know, that's exactly (laughs) what he said. He was like, when I, when my test fails, I want to be dropped into a prize session, like where the test fails, because that's, because just seeing that the test fails is not going to help me. I'm like, well, it may tell you the answer. (laughs) Right. But We'll have to do a good one. We'll have to get him on here and have a good conversation about that. That is certain nonsense. (laughs) Have you mentioned like your recent changes? I have
1: not. And I guess by the time this goes out, they will have already been enacted. So it's like um, four
0: weeks, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Four weeks away.
1: So, yeah, I am actually leaving Malwarebytes and going to a company called Kin Insurance. They have already opened an office here in St. Pete. And so, yeah, I'll be signing on with them the week after next. So I'm really, really excited about that. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I was thinking about that. I think it was last week when we were talking about How beneficial the convention over configuration is! You know, being able to just you know go to a a new job, you know, using a Rails app and being able to sit down and kind of just be productive right off the bat. So, are they doing? What are they? Are they using like React or something? No, they are actually using Stimulus. Let's go Uh, (laughs) and hopefully ERB. (laughs) Now. (laughs) and mini tests yeah so they're uh they're using stimulus so there might be some room for some uh, stimulus reflex in there that's awesome yeah it should be it should be cool i'm 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 really excited yeah they're very mission driven you know kind of shake up the home insurance game here in florida which is cool Hopefully I can get some, what do you call it? Employee discounts.
0: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <sure. laughs> Homeowners
1: insurance. Yeah, no, but um, they're, they're a bunch of cool uh, bunch of cool guys. I, you know, I went to, the, they're headquartered in Chicago. I went up there for the interview and just really cool people, you know, really cool people. I'm excited to work with them.
0: That's exciting. Are you going to be working from their office or remotely?
1: I'm going to be working from their office. So right now they just opened the office uh maybe in november or october somewhere around there and so there are not that many there's less than 10 people in the office uh right now but they're looking to grow it so uh, yeah i'll be working out of the saint pete office that's awesome it's exciting to hear
0: very cool so what have you been working on i don't know if i've mentioned this i'm a very i'm a I don't know. Different girlfriends over the past have called it different things. Obsessive, impulsive. Was it bingey, I think? Sometimes binge. I like, yeah, bingey. I'm a bingey person. So for the past like three or four days, I've just been doing a little bingey, binginess on some code. I've done a lot of things actually, which is usually the result of these little manic periods of mine. But basically, I one thing I worked on is creating a design system visualizer engine in Rails. This was after ActionView Component was announced that it wasn't going to be included. And my first thought was like, if it's not going to be included, is Nate going to give me buy-in to do this? Because I was really excited for it. I really like that style of writing your front end. I really think about it in that manner. We've talked about this in the past. I don't think we need to reiterate about my little helper function system. But I was I was disappointed and I was like, my first thought was like, alright, is Nate going to be down for this now? Now that they're not going to do this. Because now I can see the arguments for why not to use it. And I I was thinking back to my own little disaster I had created and I was thinking about the one thing that if I just like gave an assumption that we weren't going to use this library, then how can I clean up the front end at CodeFun? And I realized that the hardest part about my little helper function stuff is that they're not really documented because I was mainly the only one using them at first. So I was thinking about that some more, and I was like, I should write some documentation on on these helper functions. And so what that then led to is, all right, well, here I see some areas I can clean up these helper functions. And what that led to is like, in order to clean up all these helper functions, I need to be able to see all of the places in the app that we're using them and make sure that they're all being used the exact same way. And what that led to is I need to like build out the entire UI of CodeFun in like Figma or Adobe XD. And what that led to is <laughs> that takes way too freaking long. Let me just create a rails engine to that. I can just pass these helpers into or all my templates just pass like a list of templates into it and it will render them on the screen using like front matter formatting that I didn't use middleman for. I just literally parsed it off. And so, yeah, that's where that long chain of dumb ideas got me around the fact that I could have literally just written some documentation, but here we are. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Bingy. I get it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But basically it was an engine that you could hook up into your Rails app and it's not quite done, but honestly I might finish it because it's pretty cool regardless of whether I actually use it or not, but you would hook into it and then you would create a folder in your views called design system slash components. And then you could just give it and put all of your like, put just lists of partials in there with like YAML front matter. And what it would do is it will roll through that list or that folder list and create and in the engine, there would be a sidebar that it would dynamically create the sidebar links to all of those partials. And what it would do is it would render the actual, what, what it looked like on the screen and it would render the, the code. Um, mm. So render, yeah. And then it would use the front matter for like things like the title, the usage and things like that. So you have just a list of all your quote unquote components, whatever you want to call them, whether it's, you know, however you're doing them in Rails. And then it would, yeah. So it would render them render the code so that you could quickly apply, I, I need a card, quickly pop over to, into the engine, copy the card component, pop back into what whatever you're doing, keep rolling. That's cool. So
1: would you have things like instance variables and stuff like that in the YAML front matter too? Or did you find a need for that? Or is everything just working through the normal Rails plumbing, like the uh, controllers and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, everything's working through the plumbing right now i you could you could put in instance variables if you wanted to but i didn't just cuz i was like what is the raw like if i look at our i'm trying to think of something that's repeated that i haven't abstracted in code fun cuz you could do this with just your erb templates too so like you don't need to pass in like kind of like the helper stuff that i've like created but like if you like a button or like a link component or not it's not a component a link your basic Link button, your call to action button that you use, whatever you call it, just you could put it in there and it would render it. And it would also render, like, if you always add in like button, button, button small, button primary, whatever, all the classes on it, you could just put those in there so someone could easily pop in, copy it, move back out. Especially be helpful for people who were newer or getting ramped up with the project. Like, I felt like it would really increase the ramp up speed and also the like the kind of fatigue you have to have when working in the front end of like, oh, I need a button. I forgot what our buttons look like, you know, like, and having to go sort through the views to find one.
1: Yeah, no, I can, I can see where that's, that it would definitely be, would be a help. You know, there's always times where, you know, especially on, as a project gets older, where there's, you know, four or five different ways that people have done, Buttons, And I guess that's the argument for having a design system in the first place so that, you know, you don't do that kind of thing, but definitely having a place, especially from like a developer, as opposed to a designer point of view, Mm -hmm. having somewhere in the app that I can just like this, you know, hit this route and see all of my, all, you know, the whole design system, but not only that, hey, look, here's the markup for it, copy it and drop it in that 's actually really cool
0: <laughs> that 's very yeah. cool, yeah so I kind of want to finish it. I kind of um, want you to finish it too yeah i you've kind of reconvinced me to finish it, actually, because when I was working on that that 's when I realized there were some areas with the helper system that I had created that could be improved, and I realized that I was actually completely misunderstanding this one method in Rails that I had been basically leveraging on and that it would totally solve a ton of problems. And I was like, all right, so better, as long as we're on this little train, we might as well keep it rolling. So then I went over to CodeFun and I refactored probably 50 or 60 files wow. one the other night. I'm trying to see, uh, 83 changes in this in this PR and basically the main thing, I mean, the main thing we're using the helpers on is tables and tables have been something that I've been thinking a lot about recently because like we have this problem in CodeFund where sometimes we, even though I tried to like cement it down, sometimes we have a table on one page and a table on the other page and they don't look the same and there's no clear distinction of like, When do we use a table versus a data list or like a list or a data table? Does this need to have pagination? Where does the pagination go on the table? There's kind of like been some misdirect. And also like, when do we use pagination on a table? Do we always use pagination on a table or should it just be like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I was thinking about that and I was like, you know what? I want to fix this. This has been like the main problem for me at least. With the kind of system I made, it's all around the tables, so I refactored all the table code.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like how every on all every template that I saw just now, there's no HTML. Everything is an ERB tag
0: calling a helper function. Yeah, there is a. Yeah, there's no. There's no no HTML, <laughs> except for one span tag. Yeah. On something that I almost pulled out and made a, a helper for, but I was resisting. I, I got to make my helper for this span tag. Yeah, yeah, no, no HTML. Can it's, you tell uh, why now I think Hamel would look really nice here? Yeah, well, I mean, although that doesn't look
1: that bad, I, I mean, I've seen worse. You know, this conceptually, not visually, but conceptually it looks a lot like something in React especially like a table, like we have tables where we have, okay, the table is a component, but it's really just the table element with some functions, you know, built in. But then you have all your children. And so then you'll have your table header as like the table head element is another React component. And it's really just a table head element with maybe some functions that may be needed on that level. And then all of your, your table header cells are, are also their own React component as opposed to yeah. just having like one table where you just use the, the regular markup or the JSX for that. But yeah, everything is basically its own component with functions attached to it. And man, I'm like, ooh, that's, uh, that's a, a, a little much to wrap my head around. I'm a simple man. I like simple tables, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't like writing tables, dude. Half of code One is tables. Like, I didn't realize that at first, but after refactoring the entire UI once and now doing another big deep dive into it, like, <laughs> it's basically mostly tables. I mean, that, and that's when I thought started thinking, I was like, almost everything is basically tables. <laughs> tables and cards, man, that's all you need. You're off to the races. Hey, that's it. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. The one thing I also we're also doing, I don't know if I I'll have to put a link to this code in the show notes, but we also sometimes will have a wrapper around common templates. So if you look at like a an index page for instance, an index and a show page or a new page in Codefun have their own kind of overall layouts. So Basically on an index page it's a like a data list basically with a paginated list where you can do complex filtering and sorting like on the list using stimulus reflex for it and then when you drop into like all your crud actions for a given for this is not for all things but for most things it's a pretty nice architecture the show pages and the crud and like the settings and stuff like that they all have a sidebar on the right with like details about the record and then the it's like a tabs kind of layout in the rest of the view like where you can tab between different things associated with that record. And that's pretty much like I I think I've gotten it now so that's almost every record is like that. You have and we wrap those like my organization page for instance. I have a wrapper around the index that I use for all of the other main objects in the system. And then there's a wrapper around the crud pages that puts it in that format as well, which all the other ones use. And the only difference is what you put between the tags, I guess, between the layout tag. And it's not like a it's not a layout in the sense of like, you know, the way you may we think about a layout as in like the application.html.erb. It's just a partial that you can pass some options into and then get pass it a block. And the block is your, your ERB. Yeah. Cool. Very, very react. Yeah. Which is funny because I've never written react (laughs) where I really came to a head where my binge kind of started drifting off into like, all right, eventually you have to fall asleep is with pagination because I've used a variety of pagination gems in the past. I'm sure you have too, like Kaminara, Kaminari. Kaminari, Yeah. Yeah, pagey. Yeah, we'll, we'll paginate or... hmm Yeah. Apparently that way of paginating things isn't cool anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> um. So, and I was looking and I was trying to like... When I was sifting through the different tables and pages in code, but I was like, why didn't pagination go into this table? And I was like, oh, that's because I wasn't the one who wrote it. And I think the reasoning was like they didn't want the pagination there. They wanted you to just be able to scroll through all the data because there was a limited amount of data, I guess. And I started doing some research and I started looking through some other design systems out there because at this point I was all in on the idea of like a design system. And Shopify's Polaris, if anyone's ever seen it, they have really good documentation around it. It's pretty cool. But I, I just realized like, no, one, no one's using much pagination anymore. or They're not like really showcasing it. And I started, I started doing some reading, some, some reading, some UX blogs. Since that's not my scene, I was like, this could be like something everyone disagrees with. I have no idea. Everyone was like, nah, we're no, we're not paginating anymore and really the way we used to. It's like, it's all about that infinite load now. And that will drive conversion rates and ease of use by all these numbers that I don't really understand. And I was like, Cool. We can do that. Uh, so so that's
1: that's the thing now. We don't paginate anymore. We just infinite scroll
0: and load more. Yeah. Just from what everything I've read, I've looked at a bunch of design systems. I'm not saying that I'm about to do this at, <laughs> on CodeFund because it would be a sizable undertaking. But I've just looked around and I'm like, yeah, there's not a lot of places that are recommending pagination in the sense that we really think about it anymore. And most of them are infinite scrolling.
1: So what you're saying is that you're going to be doing this in CodeFun for all of the pages that have uh, more than 10 items on it? You're going to be implementing infinite scroll? Is that, um, what, I, is that what I heard you say?
0: I'm not, I'm not saying that. If any of my employees are listening, I am not saying that. All I'm saying is that, I mean, we could.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, it's, it's an open source project, right? So
0: yeah. You know, somebody might uh, submit a PR. I think it would be it would be pretty easy to do with Stimulus Reflex. That's also why I got interested because I was like, "Oh, this would be a cool project to source if I could create like a infinite scrolling plugin for Stimulus Reflex." But I, like I was looking at like the Dev. Two, they do infinite scrolling, Reddit infinite scrolling, Facebook infinite scrolling, like all these sites that like we probably visit on a daily basis are all infinitely scrolled now.
1: Yeah, and- I mean. I I get that, but what's the problem with pagination? I mean, Google has pages, right? Nobody wants they, to be on the second page, but <laughs>
0: that's true. I maybe that's what
1: maybe that's what drive what's driving it because like nobody ever goes to the second page of Google, so they're like people don't like pagination, people don't like to have to switch pages. So let's just get everything on,
0: on right. One well, Google itself is they actually do a decent amount of pagination. I was oh my God, I have a lot of emails. I was just making sure on Gmail that they still do. Holy crap, I forgot. They, but it, it's not really apparent where they're like, button to like change the pages. <laughs> yeah, is that's true. Kind of the, annoying. On the, the, uh,
1: yeah, the Gmail UI, like the web-based one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah it it kind of well, blends I, in.
1: I don't use it that often. So when I do use it, I'm like, wait a minute, how do I go? Uh, is it at the top? Or, where is it? Google seems to be all in on the pagination. Gmail paginates, google.com paginates. I don't know what everybody else is talking
0: about. Yeah. And their material design docs are really good as well. And I've been reading through those. I don't know, man. I don't, I was at the point where like things are stopping making sense. And I was just like, I don't know, like what's better, what's worse. (laughs) I was just, I I don't know. There's a lot of, there was a lot of interesting like, debate on either side. I mean, obviously, the end of the debate is like, if you have something working for you, why are you going to change it? But then what I was trying to do, and I guess the reason I even went down this path in the first place, was like, I want there to be one way we're doing tables in CodeFun. I want the controllers to look the same. I want the views to look the same. I want you to be able to copy one table from one page and put it on the other page. And the only like the bigger difference is that some of them were using pagination and some of them weren't. And then I was like, All right, well, is there a way we can make the pagination work so that we don't like it all looks nice? Cause I think that was one of the thing one of the reasons we didn't paginate a table or two, because we wanted the UI to be a little slicker or something like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna paginate I paginated every table and I was like, and if we want to change, then we need to either change the way we're paginating or leave it the same. I was like, I want them all to be the same. So let me
1: ask you this, you, cha- you updated pagination for all of the tables. You're using the same helper functions for tables, for for all the yep. tables on the site, right? So yep. it, theoretically, it should be easy or at least easier than going one by one to change pagination if you needed to, right? If you wanted to implement an infinite scrolling thing, at least you would only have to... Implement it in one spot, and I assume that you'd be able to do it from within your
0: table helper. Yeah, basically. Cool. Yeah, I was just like, I don't care whether if we change, if we leave it the same, I was like, I just would like them at least to all be able to be paginated. But then I started hitting, well, then I tried, I learned on Pagey, we're using the Pagey gem. They have like some thing you can hook into, like some plugin that will integrate with AREL, and apparently it's way faster. And I was like, oh, maybe if we just speed up pagey then any other concerns that will be raised will be pretty mute. And then I ran into some eager loading, preloading issues. And then I also had some issue with things that were, I think, okay, I guess I forgot about this. The other reason I think some of the tables weren't paginated is because when you tried to pass them into pagey you would get, it was something like, it was some error with group by. I didn't really understand it. And I tried to figure out for a while Kind of what it was saying. It was like it was either that we were trying to preload a polymorphic association that wasn't ready to be loaded yet, which which made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. And then the other issue, I'm trying to find what it was because I'm think I feel like you may be able to tell me why. PG grouping error: error column must appear in the group by clause or be used in an aggregate function in, in Rails.
1: Oh, I wanna say
0: that I've run into that before. It was basically like saying that whatever you were trying to pass into Paigey had a scope on it already. And and Pagey was trying to add another scope on top of it and like Rails wasn't having anything to do with it. Because I'm pretty sure Pey does a group by under the hood and it was basically saying you can't do another group by on this set of records.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, there, there, it, it could be something like that going on, but not being able to do multiple
0: group buys. I mean, that shouldn't be a thing. Well, I don't know enough SQL to know whether that's true or not, yeah. but I do know the answer was to just call unscoped on it and like <laughs> pass it like a. I don't remember what symbol I was, but I just call it unscoped on it. I've never even heard of unscoped before. And then I started, like, I did that, I fixed all of them, and I thought back, I was like, when Nate sees I'm calling Unscoped on this group of records, how is he going to feel about that? And I was like, well, if I was Nate, I would be like, why are you calling Unscoped on all these records? (laughs) And I I still haven't figured out why. I feel like calling having to call Unscoped is probably not a great thing. I don't know, do you have any? I've always heard, like, horror stories with, something like this and also with default scopes, but I have no idea because I've never experienced that. Yeah. Those are like,
1: especially default scopes are what nightmares are made of. They'll turn around and bite you in a heartbeat. Cause I, yeah. Well, ex- can you explain cause, why? Cause the thing, because basically it's, it's indirection, right? The default scope basically says, okay, whenever you're making any kind of active record call, on this class, by default, use this scope and then tack on anything else that the, is actually being called at the call site, right? So if you don't know that there's a default scope on a particular model and you're just going along and you don't know why you're not getting the results that you expect because, hey, there's a default scope there. Also, yeah, so once you get to the, that point, but you're doing you have now you have to do weird things like hey calling unscoped there so is there is there a default scope on that that you have that you're having to call unscoped no i yeah. don't think so so i guess the thing that i would do to try to figure out what's going on there is just see what sql is actually getting generated see what it is cuz it looks like you're you're trying to group by something that may not be selected right mm-hmm. So, the the, the sequel that's being generated is not selecting
0: the column that you're trying to group Uh, by. You know what? That's exactly what it is. Uh, Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Because the records that we're trying to pass to this, in some cases, are selected. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You fixed it. And, you know, I didn't even... uh, You're starting to make me realize why I need to, like, really do a deeper dive on SQL because like I had no, like I looked at that a lot and I was like, I don't know why this would happen. And then as soon as you explained it, I was like, oh yeah, if I had actually known what select is and how like <laughs> group by works, I would have known. Hmm. Yeah. That's good to know. Well, thanks for fixing it. Hey, no problem. Unscoped. Anything else in your life?
1: No, man, I'm good. I mean, and I did my good
0: deed for the day. So I'm hey, good. that's awesome. <laughs> I haven't gotten out of bed other for this, so <laughs> must I'm be going nice. straight back. Yeah, did you go to college for computer science? By the way, I kind of
1: went for computer science, and then I kind of dropped out. So, <laughs> so there's. That. I think
0: we might have talked about this before. I have just started seeing a lot. I went for a computer science degree. I'm not really sure how I didn't drop out. Fear of parents, probably. But I have some friends who went to boot camps and they're all really good, but I've been seeing a lot of stuff on the regulation is coming for boot camps because corruption is starting to occur. Yeah, I don't think corruption is starting
1: to occur. I think we're like well past the starting point on corruption, but yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, there's, uh, I've heard quite a few horror stories, you know, of people coming out of boot camps and you know just the like the financial issue mm-hmm. that they're in because of it i th- i think boot camps conceptually are a good idea not all boot camps are created equal though and mm-hmm. the other part of it is you know just how ready people are when they get out of a boot camp to really you know hit the ground running as a as a full time dev that's that's also another part of it that I think needs to be looked at. You know, we should do we should do an episode on boot camps, boot camps versus
0: college. We'll have to find someone who's been on in a boot camp then because I haven't I based like I went for computer science, but I base I taught myself everything I know that I'd use. But yeah, we'll have to find someone who's been in a boot camp.
1: You don't use a, a tree sort or a I don't I, I dropped no. out, so I don't know any of that stuff.
0: No man, I created this simulated annealing algorithm in Python when I was in college, dude. And that's totally helped me out so many areas in my life that I can't <laughs> even tell you. Like I'm I'm so blessed because I know all these stupid algorithms that I don't actually know. Because <laughs> if I ever had to use them, I would be like, I don't remember that. Crap is not important. <laughs> Go look it up like everyone else.
1: But yeah, that that I think that'd be cool to get. So I haven't I'm I'm useless for that conversation because I dropped out of college and I didn't go to a boot camp. So well, there's the third there's the third
0: perspective, <laughs> the dropout perspective. Yeah, yeah self taught. Well, we've been going we probably ought to wrap this one up. Sorry for talking so much. It's all good, man. That's what we're here for. All right. Well, have a great week, and we'll talk uh, next week. <laughs> See you. See ya. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash rubyblend. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm.